If I were to tell you right now, let's stand together and worship the Lord, the next thing you would expect to find happening is we're going to sing. Click, click, click. The drummer starts us off and we go. And that's not bad. Singing is wonderful. Singing is biblical. It's just that singing is not worship. Oh, it's an amazing gift of God given to us to express the worship that we have in our heart. But it's important that we keep the two separate. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. But then it says this. Matt Redman, who wrote the song, says this. That you search deeper within through the way things appear. Now, if I see people in a church and they're singing, maybe some have got their hands raised a little or way up or their eyes are closed or whatever, it appears to me that they're worshiping. But God has the ability to sing or to see more than just the way things appear. That's all that I have to go on is how things appear. I'm looking with my eyes. I'm sensing, okay, I think they're worshiping. But he, he has the ability to look beyond the way things appear to me. And he goes right to the heart. He goes to the center. The heart is the center. The heart is the core. The heart is the essence of something. It's the most important part. We use phrases like, well, let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the heart of the problem. The heart is the center of it all. And so if that's where worship begins is in the heart of a human, then that's where God begins. And that's where it's a good place, Gabe, for a, a week of worship to begin, is getting to the heart. Because that's really where it needs to begin. Coming back to the heart of worship then is simply reminding ourselves what worship is, who we worship, and why. And that's important for us to do. So, how do we do that? How do we come back to the heart of worship? Well, this has been maybe one of the most frustrating sermons I've had to put together because I've taught this stuff for so long. And I see how the heart of worship, as important as it is connected to expressions of worship and a lifestyle of worship, and I'm like, but God, can't I say? No, chop it. Because there's other speakers coming later in the week, and they're going to share some very crucial things, very important things and crucial things about the concept of worship. But this is what we have to look at today, and I have four things for you to remember under the heart of worship, and this is the first one. Remember what our worship is for. Remember who our worship is for. If you read the Bible, you'll very soon discover that it's not the one who is worshiping but the one who is being worshipped that has the right to set the guidelines and the parameters for what that worship needs to look like. Is that true? All right. So this is about God. Worship is for him. Matthew 4.10, Jesus said, Matthew 4.10, Jesus said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So worship is, God is the one we worship, so then worship is for him. Any problem with that? God is the one that we worship. You shall worship the Lord your God. Let's just get that straight. So then he's the one that all of this is for. And it's for him and it's not for me. And that sometimes is a problem. You've heard this story, I'm sure. But after a worship service, people out in the foyer, not here, but at a, at a church. And um, two guys in the foyer talking about the service. And one says to the other, you know what? I got nothing out of that 
that worship time at all. Just nothing. And his friend turns to him and smiles and says, well, I'm not surprised. We weren't worshiping you. Yeah, ooh is right. But the fact is, that's what we need to realize is that who is it for? It's not for us. Carl and Spencer, you just preached to Pastor Mike. Carl and Spencer used to say that the pipe that sends the water from point A to point B, the pipe will get wet when the water goes through. But the reason for the pipe and the blessing that the pipe gets is not that you can keep all the water to yourself. But you know what? When the water passes through, this is Carlton, I love it. The pipe gets wet in the process. You will be blessed. Don't worry about that. You seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of you. But what this is all about, who this is all about, is God. We need to remember that. Worship is for God. Now, we say that. We say that worship is for God. Let me just say that this is a good day, and this is a good week for us especially to go back to God and say, Lord, would you search my heart? Would you search much deeper within, beyond the way things are? That, I, that appear, or things that I would even just say, because I've said them so often, I'm used to saying them. Would you let me know, is my worship really for you? Or has it little by little eroded down, trickled down to where, well, it's kind of about me more than you? I would like to know that. I'd like God to show me that. Dr. Eddie Hyatt is, a, is an author of several books on worship. And he was at a worship service, worshiping along with all the others, attending it, but also observing what was going on. And he wrote these comments down about the worship service that he went to. He said, the musicians and singers were great. Congregation was enthusiastic. Some danced in the aisles. Others waved banners. He said, the question, though, came to my mind, who is this for? And the answer that came to him was obvious. He said, this was for them. They were having fun. They enjoyed doing this. They were reveling in their own excellence and feeling good about their expertise in worship. And then he makes this statement. This is the real problem right here. They were more enamored or more in love with their act of worship than they were with their, the object of their worship. He said they lost their focus. They become centered on, centered on themselves and they were doing the right things. Yeah. But for the wrong reasons. So God can look past the way things appear and really show us what is true. And that's the, that's the wonderful thing about worship and worship times where you really focus in on it. But it can also be a dangerous thing. Because God can come and show us. So how do we come back to the heart of worship, number one? We remember who our worship is for. Number two, remember that heaven is our compass. And what does that mean? There used to be thinking quite some time ago that if you take a person and you put them out in the woods, a woods or forest that they don't know, but a whole bunch of trees, they just stick them out there and say, now walk a straight line. They will, some sooner than others, but they will actually walk in a circle. They're intending to walk straight, but they'll actually walk in a circle. And that was at some point thought that, well, maybe that person's leg, maybe the right leg or left leg, one leg is stronger or one leg is longer than the other, which would account for the circling. But they've been doing some recent research on this, and they found that that's really not the case. You put somebody in the woods. Now they have all the GPS tracking stuff, which is kind of cool, so they can watch them. Um, but he said, you, you, you tell someone to go straight ahead. Now, they intend to walk straight ahead. 
But he said, let's say Bob. Bob goes out, has his little trackers on so they can watch him, and he's intending with all of his heart to go straight ahead. So he's walking straight ahead, but in reality, he circles and veers off to the right and makes a, com a complete circle without even knowing it. So we think, okay, Bob's leg is stronger or longer or whatever. No, no. You take Bob back again, and they did this. The test runs. They, they stuck Bob again with the trackers on him so they could watch him, and he intended to go straight ahead. This time he veered to the left, a complete circle around. I mean, it took him a while, a few miles, but he got up. It's like he didn't even know that he was veering off to the left or to the right. So what they're discovering is the issue is not so much stronger leg, longer leg theory. That kind of dissolves. They said the issue is there's an uncertainty about not knowing where straight ahead is. You think you're going right. Your perception is that you're going that way and without knowing it. Without a compass, without a point of reference, you actually, little by little, whichever way you go, you go and you veer off to the right or you veer off to the left. What we need is a compass. You got them on your phone probably. Or what you need is some kind of outside of yourself point of reference, like a tower over there, a mountain in the distance, even the position of the sun, but something that says, okay, that's where I'm going. And then you make minute micro course corrections, don't you? Without even knowing it. But without those points of reference, or without that compass to guide you, you just, with all good intentions, you just surely veer without even ever knowing it. Now back to the worship. If our worship is supposed to be about God and for God, it's very easily, or it's, it's very easy that we do get off track with all good intentions and never really understand that, well, God, it's for you. And then pretty soon we find ourselves kind of making a worship circle. The circle's right back on ourselves if we're not careful. And we're going in, a, in a, a direction that is not good and it's not of God. We need a compass. And here's what I found is that the Word of God itself is, but the Word of God offers us teaching on heaven. And heaven, I know it sounds odd, we don't talk about, about heaven about these days, but heaven can be a compass for us to keep our life, our worship, intact and on track. In fact, the Bible teaches us to use that compass of heaven to focus our minds and our thoughts on the realities of heaven. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, if you're jotting this down, Colossians 3, 2. The Bible says, set your minds, Amplified says, set your minds and keep them set. On what is above, fill your thoughts with heavenly realities not on the things that are on the earth. Look beyond yourself, not with the distractions of the natural realm. See, heaven is a place where the will of God is done. I learned that from the Lord's Prayer. I learned that because Jesus told me that through his word. Jesus tells us then to ask the Father, okay, Lord, will you let your will be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. So if I can look in heaven and see something that can give course correction to how I worship here, that would be helpful to keep me from going in a circle. I don't want that. I want to go after him. So what you do, you open up God's word and you turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, and hover around chapters 4 and 5 for a while, or 11 is good, 19 is great too. But start with chapters 4 and 5. Because they talk a lot about worship and they give us a sense of what's going on right now. Hello, right now, 
in worship as we're here and they're there. This stuff is going on now. And they say things like this. Listen to and learn from not only the vocabulary of heaven, but learn from the value system of heaven. Listen to statements that are made from those who see him perfectly. I don't. We don't. Listen to those that do. They say this, day and night, night and day, essentially. That's where that comes from. Day and night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. Then John says, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And day and night, this does not cease. That's the worship in heaven. It gives me a flavor for what's going on in heaven. And Jesus said, you need to start praying that the will of God that's done perfectly in heaven will begin to be reflected on earth. He is worthy The concept of worship in the English language, worship has evolved from a hyphenated word, basically, worth-ship. Worth-ship. Like your hind, you know, worth-ship. So worth-ship over the years has developed into worship. But it forever teaches me that worship is a time for me to attempt to declare Somehow, the worth of the one that I'm worshiping and make statements to this effect that you are worthy. Worship is a time to be weighing the worth of God. How much is he worth to you? Can you put a price tag on him? He's worthy. We're saying, we're making statements to this effect. Spend time studying the compass of heaven. Because the holiness of God, you'll learn how the holiness of God is not only the goal of heaven and the worship of heaven, but it's the very atmosphere of the worship of heaven. That's what we need. You need to come away. In fact, if if you will, you'll come away with a much-needed course correction on the heart of worship for here, for us, for now, for planet Earth. Heaven's worship We are told, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I see something of what's happening in heaven, I want to pray for that here. I want to imitate that here. I want to nurture that here. I want to bring it to pass here by God's help. I've also found that you can tell. You get into a group. It isn't everywhere, but you can tell when the heart of worship is growing stronger and stronger among us because more and more of these statements of the worth of God and the holiness of God. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, you are worthy. I start hearing more of those, and I'm thinking these people, this group that I'm with right now, they're sensing, they've got a revelation. They're sensing more and more of the God that they worship. Listen to me. If God will grant you a revelation, and it takes that, a revelation of his worthiness, And what true worship really is, I believe that soon we will find that a diet of so-called worship songs, not all, but some, that may be fun and may feel good, but that encourage us to focus more on ourselves than on this beautiful God that they see in heaven. Songs that, that make us the center and then 
our satisfaction, the purpose for worship, I find, I think you'll find that those songs will begin to fall off of you like dead leaves falling off of a tree. Because you'll no longer have a hunger for that which just appeals to your flesh. But there's an ache and a cry in your heart for that. And you can't make that happen. But you can hunger for it and say, God, will you search beyond the way things appear? Will you get into my heart and will you do heart surgery of some kind? you got to fix it because I don't feel that hunger. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we come back to the heart of worship? Number one, remember who worship is for. Number two, remember that heaven is our compass. Number three, remember what the Father is looking for. John chapter 4, Jesus tells us, there's no doubt, verse 23 and 24, an hour is coming and now is. When is now? Hello, welcome to now. Right? It's now, right here. Where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Your human spirit is the God-conscious part of you that died in the garden with Adam and Eve when sin came in, but was quickened and made alive with the Zoe, the uncreated eternal life of God. It quickened you. It infused into your dead spirit. And by his spirit, he birthed you into his kingdom. You were born again with the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It infused the dead thing in you and brought it to life, resurrected. And so the worship that the Father desires is that which is generated in a redeemed human spirit by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's what he's looking for. It's not just you singing songs. Yes, we worship. We can worship. This is an amazing thing. But Philippians 3.3 says, and it brings us clarity on this. Yeah, we worship. But it says, we worship through the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit, by the Spirit. We worship. We can worship because we see him. We can never see him without the Holy Spirit. He'll take the things of Christ and bring them to us and make them real. We can worship because our eyes have been opened and the revelation is there and we see him for who he is. So we worship. It still is your job to worship the Lord, but you'll do it and be able to do it through the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Spirit. So the heart of worship is a spiritual issue, please hear me, and not a musical one. I've been doing music for a long time, and I love it, but I know its place I know its place in my life. I know its place in the kingdom. If we don't realize that the heart of worship is a spiritual issue and not a musical one, we'll always be looking for the next worship band, the next hot new worship song to be the answer to the life that we're seeking. But worship is never produced by a worship band and never produced by a worship song. It's never produced by human talent or personality. God will not allow that. Flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh shall profit you nothing. Human effort, which is of the natural realm, is of no help. 
See, that's why the worship of heaven is holy. And when we on earth worship as Jesus asked us to, what the Father's looking for, we worship in spirit, through the Holy Spirit, then our worship will begin to embrace the same atmosphere and the same fragrance that is in the heavenlies right now. That, that will just be inundated, saturated with the holiness of our God. This is what the Father's looking for. So how do you come back to the heart of worship? We said three things so far. Remember who our worship is for. Number two, remember that heaven is our compass. Three, remember that, remember what the Father is looking for. And one more before I close. And one that you may, may not be expecting. Number four, remember the shape of the cross. What does that mean? We've been singing this song, or talking about this song more today, from Matt Redman. He said, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. Now, what is the more that he's speaking of? What is the more that Matt Redman meant? What is the more that God would want if, if, if a song in itself is not what he requires? In fact, he looks for more. In fact, he looks for it so much he goes searching for it. He's looking for it in you. What is he looking for? There are several things we could fill in the blank there, and this is the more that needs to be added to our just singing. I want to give you one that I think ought to be in that blank. In fact, I think it would revolutionize some of our worship if really caught on to this, and it's going to be a little bit different. Number four, the shape of the cross. How do you make a cross? You know what a cross looks like. It starts with a vertical beam anchored in the ground, and that's cool. The vertical speaks of our relationship with the Lord, your worship to God, heaven to earth, earth to heaven. We got that connection right. But without the horizontal beam, you don't have a cross. What's the horizontal beam speak of? Reaching out relationship with others, that dimension. Okay? Now, I'm going to read three verses to you. I want you to listen very, very closely to the connection that God makes in his word between our worship, that's the vertical piece, and our relationship with those around us, and that's the horizontal piece. First of all, Amos. God has the microphone. This is what he's saying. Amos chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. He said, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. Do you know what I want? He said, I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all that I want. Worship, but no songs, but justice, fairness. Interesting, the vertical intersecting with the horizontal. Look at Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Here's the prophet saying, What can we bring with us when we go to worship the Lord? What should we offer God, the God of heaven, when we bow down before him? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? By the way, do you know that it wasn't thousands of rams? If you have a sin offering to bring, it's one ram. Not thousands. Then he said this, would, would he take delight in 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Well, just as an aside, Micah, oh, that's a lot of olive oil. Um, usually an offering required about a quart of olive oil, give or take. So what's Micah doing here? Thousands of rams, 10,000, not just a quart or a gallon, but like a river. 
what is he feeling right here? I'm thinking that he's thinking, God, I love you. I want to worship you. I want to bring worship that is truly pleasing to you. And in, from the natural perspective, he seems to be exaggerating. But put those in terms today that we might be able to deal with, think about. God, now I'm too old to do this well, but let me just try. God, do you want us, like up here in the front, is this what your worship, do you want, do you want the worship to like be all of us pushed up front here? Just dancing like David with all our might, high energy, high volume, just cranking it out, rocking it out. You want a kind of a, a mosh pit of like just crashing together, passionate, abandoned, wholehearted worship. Is that the kind of worship you want? Because we have a heart today, I believe, like Micah had a heart then, and say, God, I just want to know what can I do? How can I come before you? What is it that I can bring that will please you, that will bless your heart? I'll bring you more than a song. I know you want more. What is the more? Let me read the last verse to you. Well, I forgot this piece. You have to realize this. Micah is hearing from God things like, no, save the olive oil. That's not the point, or at least most of it. The rams, no, no, no. He said, what I want is justice. I want righteousness, I want fairness, compassion, things like that. I can almost hear Micah after he says that verse, writes down that word from God, then it's like from God to Micah, then it's from God through Micah to us. I can almost hear Micah saying to the Lord, Lord, I thought we were talking about worship. You know, the olive oil thing and the rams and all that different stuff and the the abandonment and the mosh pit and the just, you know, just kind of, what do you want? What do you want? And God starts talking about the horizontal dimension. I thought you were talking about worship, God. And God says, I am. I am. See, I started this little talk and I said to you, we have such a, a thought in our mind, most of us, well, maybe some of us, that the two are synonymous and equivalent, that we talk about worship equals Singing. Singing is wonderful, but there's more. And this is what God, see, he comes after the more. He's looking for you. Because lip service, you know what I found out about that? Never had much time for it. Old Testament, New Testament, God's never had much time for it. When I'm just blah, 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 the talking head, the singing head, he doesn't care. Not interested at all. James, my third verse, James one twenty seven. This is cool. Put, a, put together a couple trans, different translations. It says this. This is the way of life. This is the pure devotion. This is the worship that God our Father wants. Okay, I'm going to find out now before I leave and go to lunch. This is the worship. What is the worship that God wants? And then God says this. To care for and to make a difference in the life of orphans and widows who are in trouble and need help that need their kids babysat, that need their leaves raked, that need their driveways and sidewalks shoveled. This is the kind of worship that God our Father wants? Am I saying there's no music at all? No, 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 no. No, I've been clear from the beginning. Sing your songs, but realize that the one who, <laughs> with those eyes that, you know, 
crazy. Just the heart of God the, that he, you know, remember, remember that story in Luke, I think it is, when Jesus was on his way in, the, in, in his trial, and Peter denied him three times, and it says in Luke's gospel captures this. It says that Jesus came out, and Peter came out, and it says that Jesus looked at Peter. One look. Those eyes is what I'm talking about. That's what you face. The eyes of him with whom we have to do, Hebrews 4.13. That we're looking at him in worship. Unless you just want to play a game. And I know you don't. You wouldn't be at Bible school. Want to look into his face and look into his heart. And you might, if you catch the revelation of him looking back at you, you realize there's more to this. God our Father wants more than just a song. Now, did you know that in Rochester alone there are over 50 nursing homes? 50. Not to mention the one that's three miles just northeast of here in Honey Eye Falls. Imagine this. You go online, and you can do this. You can Google that place, and you can get a hold of their activities director, and you can set up a time, and you can take yourself and your guitar and your roommate, and you can take the love of God that's in your heart, and you can just drive three miles that way. And you can sit down with people who have nobody to visit them, Sing for them, listen to their stories, smile at them. They will absolutely love you. And you say, Brother Dick, I thought we were talking about the heart of worship. I am. I am. And one more thing before I go and you get to go. If you really want to come back to the heart of worship, if you really want to be the kind of worshiper that the Father is seeking for, do the first three that I said. Don't fail in those. But consider this. Sometime, maybe soon, walk up to the dining hall. And before you walk in, pray. Say, God, would you, would you let me see the student bodies, my brothers and sisters, through the eyes of the Spirit? And then you walk in the door. You get your food. Now you're not going to sit with your friends. Ooh, that's radical. The table where I always go to, I got a reserved spot. Now you're not going to go that day because God's going to begin to open your eyes to see other people. People that you just, they're part of the body, they're part of the student body. You don't even know them. You never really talk with them. Maybe you even have a hard time with them. You don't really like them that much. But I would challenge you to take the risk. One meal out of all the meals you're going to eat here, Let's try it out. Say, Lord, would you give me the eyes of the Spirit to see my brothers and sisters like you see them? And then avoid the table that's calling you over and say, hey, come have fun with us. Laugh and joke and eat and have a good time. And maybe God's going to point out one person who's sitting by himself. And they may have something to give you, and you may have something to give them. But I believe that if you will do that, as God leads you, that could be one of the most, in the eyes of heaven, that could be one of the most profound acts of worship that you could do. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'll bring you more than just the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You see, singing something doesn't mean that we're doing something. 
Singing something is articulating something that we know needs to be done. So we grab on, we gravitate to those words, and we say, Lord, now I've got to turn lyrics on a wall, lyrics in my brain, lyrics being sung out of my mouth. I've got to turn that into a prayer. And Lord, I intend to walk straight ahead. I so easily veer off. I so easily get into my little routines that end up being about me if I'm not careful. But I want to come back to the heart of worship. Now, I'm going to go over there to the piano. We're going to sing the second verse to that song, and then we're going to have you out of here. You do what you want today as far as lunch. But I want you to, to, to find in God the heart of worship. It's going to be more than a song because a song in itself is never what God has required. All right? Why don't we stand together? Okay. King of Endless Worth. Come on, sing it with me. King of Endless Worth No one could express How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single not what you have required and you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart and I'm coming back to heart of worship it's all about come and just say, Lord, I don't know what it means, but I'm feeling something inside that says I need to wait a few minutes before I go to lunch. You're welcome to stay. Otherwise, you're dismissed. God bless you. Enjoy your lunch. Jesus.
chains and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless Thank you. 